The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, your plan to fill the universe with the glory of your Son and to do that through the church is humbling. I pray, Lord, that you would humble us this morning to see the great calling that every child born by the blood of Christ is to engage in. Help us to see, Father, that our participation in the growth of your church here at Christ Community Church and your true church throughout the world is part of your grand plan to bring yourself glory and to magnify the glory of your Son now and forever. If this is a new teaching for us, Father, then I pray that you would solidify it If it is an old teaching that we understand, I pray that you would cause us to obey. If we are in Christ, Lord, show us the work that you've given us to do. And then without another day passing, I pray we would do that work. That we would use our hands and our feet and our mouths to bring you the honor and glory that you so rightly deserve. So to that end, Father, I pray that you would magnify yourself this morning. Make yourself known that we might worship you well. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen. The title of the sermon is Jesus' Followers' Work to Grow God's Church. Jesus' Followers' Work to Grow God's Church. Now, growth plans are not uncommon to most of us. Most of us have growth plans of some kind. We have plans to gain a new skill set, maybe to get a promotion at work, maybe get a degree. As we approach the new year, most of us will have some growth plan to eat better and exercise. That seems to be at the top of the list come January 1, and then it's off the list by January 15. Before Amazon became a household name, they had a very simple growth plan. It was four parts. Maintain a relentless focus on the customer. Continue to innovate. Strive for operational excellence. That's how you get your package at your door the next day. And think long term. Those were their four operating principles. Focus on the customer, innovation, operational excellence, and long term view. From a valuation of $4 million, $4 million in 1996, Amazon was valued this year at $1.4 trillion. $1.4 trillion, my beloved. Now, it's hard to argue that their growth plan was anything other than an absolute economic success. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he gives us a peak of God's growth plan. It's not a growth plan to earn himself $1.4 trillion. It's not a growth plan to build a company that brings products to your door. It is a growth plan to fill the universe with his glory. It is a growth plan to magnify his name throughout the whole universe forever and ever. Now, if you think Jeff Bezos' growth plan was ambitious, 
and, and I think it was, you'll be blown away by God's growth plan. Not only because of its size and scope, but because he calls you to participate in it. He calls you, if you are in Christ, to participate in the growth plan of filling the universe with his glory. In, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, in the first three chapters, he actually reveals how Christ, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, Christ built his people. He built a church, the family of God. And then in chapters four through six, he spends the rest of the letter talking about how the church is supposed to live in response to Jesus Christ as the family of God. How we are collectively, as a body, to be shaped by our love for Jesus and our love for one another. In fact, he says in Ephesians chapter one, he, he gives us this glimpse of what we're supposed to be doing. Paul says in Ephesians one, verse nine and 10, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. You say, well, what is that? Which he set forth in Christ as a plan. So here's your growth plan. Here's God's plan for his church to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth for his glory. In other words, there are only two growth plans in the whole universe. There's God's growth plan to use his church to magnify his son's name forever and ever. And then there's man's growth plan. And that's whatever individual growth plan you have adopted and said, this is what I'm going to do to build my kingdom for my glory. Two growth plans. The question you'll want to ask yourself today, and I think the passage will help you answer it, is whose growth plan are you working on? What growth plan are you on right now? Are you participating in the growth plan of God to glorify the Son by growing His church? Or are you working on your own plan to grow your own glory for your own kingdom? I will tell you, but you already know, that, that latter part, that latter plan, your plan, that's a bad plan. That plan fails. Not only in bringing satisfaction to you now, but it ultimately fails in the end because your kingdom, apart from Christ, is darkness and death. So from our passage today, I want us to ask that question and answer it. What plan am I on? And I want to do that by considering from our passage three wonderful truths that might be new to you. I don't know. Um, number one, Jesus gives gifts from heaven to train the saints for ministry. Number two, Jesus gives gifts from his throne to equip the saints to grow the church. And number three, Jesus gives gifts from his throne to fill and subdue the cosmos for his glory. Three things that Jesus is doing right now, real time from his throne with his church to train the church, to equip the church, and to fill the cosmos with his glory. If there were a theme to the sermon, it would be this. Jesus expects his followers to use their gifts to fill the earth with the glory of God. Jesus expects, rightfully so, if you've been born again, to use your gifts to fill the earth, not just this church and not just San Jose, but the entire earth with the glory of God. You say, well, that sounds impossible. How are we supposed to do that? Well, we don't do it alone. We do it in Christ with all other true churches throughout, throughout all history. So point number one, Jesus gives gifts from his throne to train the saints for ministry. So after calling the church to unity, look at, look at your eyes, get your eyes up to verse four with me. 
He calls the church to unity, reminding the church that there's one body and one spirit, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, verse 6, one God and Father of all. Once he calls the church to unity, he says, and, and the Father has given gifts. And Christ saying, and I have given gifts to you from the throne. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, grace, that, that could be defined as power or gifting. Grace was given to each one of us, every single Christian, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he... Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So Paul tells us that when Jesus ascended after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven, he's seated upon the throne, and he did two things. One, he took some of our enemies captive. You say, what, what does that mean? That means he limited the power of Satan and his dominions of darkness to stifle the growth of the church. He limited that power. He took some of those captives so the church can grow. And then Paul tells us he didn't, just, he didn't just take away some of our enemies, he poured out gifts, supernatural gifts and talents upon the body of Christ to be used to grow the body of Christ for his glory. And one of the first lists of gifts that Paul tells us God gave to the church are those who will train the church in the word of God. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now that's very straightforward. There are five gift lists, gift lists in the New Testament. And in those gift lists, you have approximately 20 supernatural gifts that are identified that they're given to the body. And that Paul starts here with gifts. They're actually people. They're not necessarily gifts. They're persons that have been given to the church. The apostles and prophets were given to receive supernaturally the word of God. The evangelists were given supernaturally the gift to go out and declare the word of God to the lost. And then shepherds and teachers, that would be pastors and teachers, were given to the church to lead and feed God's people with the word of God. In other words, all five, all five positions, all five ministries are word-based ministries. God equipping men to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, in order to what? In order to build up the church. Now that makes sense, my beloved. If the primary means God uses to save and sanctify people is the word of God, then it makes sense that the first gifts he would give would be to those men and women who could what? Who could teach the word of God to build up the church. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us here. But it's not so much those that were gifted to teach the word that I want you to see. It's the purpose of it. Look at verse 12. Why did God equip the, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the, and the shepherds and the teachers? It says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That is the church. Now last week we looked at the countercultural teaching of having freedom through slavery or having freedom through service. And I think there was a right pushback for most of us thinking that's not my definition of freedom. I would argue that our teaching here in Ephesians 4 is no less controversial. Most Western Christians do not see themselves as ministers in the church. Most Western Christians see themselves primarily as a, a spectator. In the Western church, we come, we sit, we listen, and we leave. And the primary experience for most is one of watching, not doing. 
The idea is this. Ministry belongs to whom? To ministers. You're a minister. Ministry belongs to pastors. It belongs to deacons. It belongs to missionaries. It belongs to ministry leaders. That's why they have the title ministry leader. It doesn't belong to the whole church. And yet right here in this New Testament passage and in all five areas where the New Testament talks about the gifts, he identifies the members of the body as ministers of God. In other words, that's you if you're in Christ. You see, I'm a minister of the word of God. My job is to teach and preach the word of God to you so that you can what? Be equipped to do the work of ministry. To prepare you. In fact, that word equip, it means to prepare or to enable or to train someone up to work. And so the ministry of these apostles and prophets and and teachers and shepherds and evangelists was to equip the body to do the work the body was called by God to do. And that means every true Christian. Now listen, if you claim Christ, that's you. Every true Christian in every true church throughout all of church history is called, has been called, is called today, and will be called in the future to the work of ministry. Well, how do you like that? We just ordained ourselves as an entire body of believers, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I think that is fair. It's not just pastors or missionaries or evangelists. It's it's every true Christian, and if that's you, then that's you. There's work given for you to do, and God has equipped you to do it. Now, that is a, a dramatic shift from the model of the contemporary Western church today, a a, a significant shift. The model today is one where it's very corporate in nature. We we hire professionals. You've gone to seminary. We hire you because you went to seminary. And then then you hire a big staff, and with your staff, you do 90% of the work of the church, and then we'll let the other 10% be done by those really, really serious Christians who will become what? Ministry leaders. And then you leave the 90% to come and sit and, and hopefully enjoy a good meal every Sunday. Jesus' model is not a consumer model. That's a consumer model. Jesus' model is a producer model. He calls the entire body to be gifted and engage in the work that he has called us to do. Every single part. For what purpose? Look at the latter part of verse 12. For the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body, the church of Christ. Paul here is drawing upon an, an, agri- an agricultural, an architectural analogy he established back in chapter 2, verse 20, when he was talking about the, the church being built up as a temple for the living God. And of course, that, that harkens us back to the, the, the tabernacle in the desert that the, the Israelites built a, a structure for God to come and dwell in. And of course we know they built then the temple in Jerusalem for God to what? To come and dwell in. But here the emphasis is, it's not on a building. It's on people. We become the temple. And it's on the process of that building process that, that each of us is gifted by God with the Holy Spirit to actually engage in the building up of this body, this building. And what, so what's extraordinary about it is you are both the building And you're the workers. You're the building and you're the workers at the same time. Now before we look more closely at this work itself, which I want to in the next point, I want to take a moment and I want you to ask yourself, is your Christian walk 
and ministry in the life of the church more that of a spectator or a worker? Which one is it? I mean, it's going to be one or the other or lend towards one or the other. Are you more of a consumer or a producer in the context of your life in the church? More specifically, do you, do you come and do you listen, assuming that I'm doing my job and I pray that I am, if I, if I study and I pray and I bring food for you to eat and the word is proclaimed, are you taking the word and are you eating it and are you humbly submitting to it? Are you saying, I'm assuming that you spent time on this passage and I'm going to take it and I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to do what it calls me to do. That's what Paul is, the model he's developing here. If I'm doing my job, then your response would be to do what the word says. Are you? Are you doing that here at Christ Community Church? If you're a member here, again, I know this is countercultural. It's it's countercultural to the Western church, but simply, my beloved, simply because the, the church has accepted a consumer model and not a producer model, simply because we're okay with thousands of people gathering and sitting and then leaving and not participating doesn't mean that we want to engage in that if the scriptures tell us otherwise. And I would argue that right here, certainly in Ephesians 4 and throughout the whole New Testament, we get this teaching that you are saints of God. You are ministers of God, specifically gifted by God to do specific work that God has called you to do in the context of a local body of believers. You if you're in Christ. I would argue certainly that showing up for an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning is not what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. He would not consider that labor in the Lord. I hope this is not laborious for you. I hope this isn't a great work for you to go, I have to come for an hour and a half. That's not the labor he's talking about. Paul is offering a course correction to the church at Ephesus. He's saying stop being consumers and be a producer. Stop sitting and watching and start working. And I would say it's a necessary course correction for the Western church today and even our church here at CCC. I would say. I hope you would too. So the first thing we see is that Jesus gives gifts from his throne. Just that statement's amazing. Jesus on his throne right now pouring out gifts on you. Pouring out gifts on the church. In real time he's doing that And he gives gifts to ministers in order to train up the body to do the work of growing the church. But there's a second part of God's growth plan that I want to show you. Point number two, Jesus gives gifts from his throne to equip the saints to grow the church. To equip the saints to grow the church. Now look back at verse seven. According to verse seven, God's grace, these giftings, supernatural giftings, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So, Jesus, the eternal king, sitting upon his throne right now, is he's just pouring out gifts on the church. Gifting here, gifting there, gifting there. Exactly as he sees fit, the measure that he seems, he says, and he thinks is absolutely right. And he does that for every single Christian. Some have a greater measure, others have less of a measure, but every single person receives a gift or multiple gifts, multiple talents to do something in the context of the local body of believers. To do something. Not to just sit on the gift, but to actually use the gift in order to what? In order to build the church up. In order to make the true church of Jesus Christ an extraordinary display of God's glory here in real time. 
How does he accomplish that? I'll give you two ways. The passage actually speaks to several, but I'll give you two. First, we're to grow the church by speaking the truth in love to one another. So that's, that's both simple and hard. It's simple in understanding. It's hard to do because we don't like to speak the truth to one another. We like to remain quiet. We like to keep peace. Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So rather, my beloved, than the church being shaped by all the worldly voices and all the talking heads and all the noise that you get every day on your phone, God's people are to learn the word of God from those who have been gifted to teach and preach it, and then God's people are to take that same word and speak it to one another. Oh, I love the simplicity of that, my beloved. I'm so, I'm so thankful for the ministry of the word of God that I get time that you don't have. You work full time. You are busy. I get time to sit and pray and study and I can bring the word to you week after week that you might eat it and then go do it and go speak it to one another. This, of course, must be done in love. Great patience, great humility, but it must be done. If the word of God, applied by the Holy Spirit, is the primary means that God uses to save the lost and sanctify, grow up his people, then we would have to agree that hearing a sermon once a week or attending a Bible study once a week is woefully insufficient to grow the church. This is not sufficient to grow the church as Christ wants us to grow it into what? Into his likeness. You know the average, the average person speaks between 7,000 7, and 20,000 words a day. Some of you, I know where you are on that spectrum. I know where I am too. 7,000 7, to 20,000 words a day. And the average person consumes either by hearing or by reading 10,000 words a day. 10,000 words on average you're eating, you're taking in. Now if the growth goal according to 15, is to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. If the goal is to be like Christ, and every single day we are bombarded by words from our parents and our colleagues and our friends and our family, from the mainstream media and from our phones and from social, we're bombarded by teachings that tell us how to live contrary to Christ. If that is true, and I believe it is, 10,000 words and more against Christ, then I would argue, my beloved, we need we need each other regularly, daily, speaking God's truth into our lives. I need you and you need me and we need each other doing that because we're all exposed daily to these words telling us to live contrary to Christ. Who's going to tell us to live like Christ? Who, if not the church, to live like Christ? If your brother is ignorant and living in a manner that is contrary to the word of God and doesn't know it, then we're called to bring the word of God to that brother so that he doesn't remain in rebellion against God and, and not even know he's in rebellion against God. Right? If your sister is struggling with discouragement because things have been really hard in her life, right? you are called and equipped by God to go to that sister and to encourage her with the word rather than having her turn to the world and engage in some some fleshly pleasure in order to be 
temporarily encouraged. If your brother's in sin and you really love your brother, you're called to take the word of God to that brother in humility and love and say, listen, I see sin, I want to help you, I want to bless you, rather than allowing your brother to remain in sin and possibly perish. A dear brother of mine reached out a few weeks back, struggling with sickness and grief. Those are hard combinations. When you're grieving a loved one and you become physically ill, it's very Job-esque in what it does to our minds. And he, and he reached out. I, I, I was assuming he was reaching out for encouragement and maybe, maybe counsel. And I gave him both. Not because I didn't have other things to say about his situation. I have lot, lots of thoughts about his, his physical struggles and the medical help he was getting or not getting. I had lots of thoughts. But I responded by bringing him the counsel and encouragement of God's word. And I did so, my beloved, because I believe that God's word and God's counsel is infinitely better than mine. What could I say to him to bring him better encouragement than God? What counsel could I possibly give to to be better counsel than God could bring? My wisdom is of man and my counsel, my encouragement is of the flesh. But God Almighty's is not. And so I brought the word of God to him and I counseled with the word of God and he was rightly encouraged because God encouraged him. God encouraged him. God counseled him and just used me as the foolish vessel that I am. So according to God's growth plan, every member of the body is to speak the truth in love to one another. Are you doing that? Are you speaking God's word to one another that we all together Again, the the imagery is the whole body maturing into the image of Christ. Not just you, not just me, but all of us together. Are you speaking the truth in love so that people might hear and grow? The second thing that Paul does, he says that the way we do this though, he says by each member properly doing his or her work. Look Look at the latter part of verse 15 again. He said, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's Christ. So our goal is to mature into the image of Jesus himself. Verse 16. From whom, this is Jesus, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that's, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a very deep and complex passage. A, a bit confusing in both the Greek and in the English. But what Paul's referring to here is the extraordinary means by which God grows his church. And it's truly extraordinary. I would say it's supernatural. He shifts from the metaphor of a building to a person. He switches from the building up of the church as a structure like the tabernacle or the temple to an individual. <laughs> Uh, thank you, sister. No worries. The metaphor becomes Christ as the head and the church as the body. And it's Christ that Paul says clearly is the one who makes the body, the church, grow. Now, this is difficult to see, but if you look, the latter part of verse 16 says, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The one who does that is back in verse 15. That is Christ. That is the head. Okay? So it's Christ who makes the body grow. Um, and and the, the idea of Christ as the head and the body 
uh, as the church is, is used frequently in the New Testament. But Paul uses it here in a unique way. He uses it to describe how the church actually grows up, how the church matures in its faith. It says Christ, look at verse 16 again, Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. And so Christ brings the church together, he holds the church together, and he's the one that's making it grow. But the way he does it is by every single member doing the work that that member has been given to do. And Paul would go so far as to say here, the only way that Christ is going to build up the church is through the church, each member doing his or her job. That's what it says here. Each part, every joint, every ligament is working properly. That's working effectively. That's how Christ grows his church. That's God's plan. You say, I don't like that plan. I want the Western plan. I want to come. I want to sit. I want to listen. I want to leave and let Christ build his church. Let the Holy Spirit build his church. Well, that's not God's plan. It wouldn't be my plan. God's plan is each of us participating and working for the glory of God. And that's why the metaphor of the body, the human body, works so well here. Human bodies that are healthy, they grow together in uniformity, right? Each part grows together in uniformity. Each part grows, they're connected to each other, they grow in close proximity to each other, they receive nutrients through the bloodstream from head to toe, they are nourished together. Take one part out, take one part out of your body that you need, and not only does your body struggle to function properly, but your body's gonna struggle to get the nutrients throughout the body that it needs. Suppose, for example, you were, you're like me and you're very tired of all the pain you have in your right shoulder. And so you decide, you know what, I'm gonna go to my orthopedist and I'm gonna say, I want it gone. I want it gone. You said, no, no, I don't wanna repair it. I don't wanna fix it. You've tried, it's failed. I want you to remove my right shoulder from my body. And your orthopedist, who says, all right, you're going to pay me for it. And you said, yes. He says, all right, I'll do it. So you go through surgery, and he removes your right shoulder, and then you come out of anesthesia, and you wake up, and you realize you can't use your right arm and your right hand. You asked him, you said, I want, I want you to remove my right shoulder, but I want to use my right arm and my right hand. But you're lying there, and you realize, I can't use my right arm and my right hand because they're no longer connected to my body. And then you realize, you look at your right hand and your right arm and it's turning green and, and darkening because it's dying. You say, well, why is it dying? Because the nutrients can't get there anymore. Because the nutrients traveled through your shoulder to your arm and to your hand. So not only have you rendered yourself a cripple, unable to use your right arm, you've destroyed other body parts. Now you might say, that's crazy, Pastor. And that's a ridiculous example. Who in their right mind would ever want to use their right arm and their right hand and then remove their right shoulder? Only a fool would do that. And I would argue you are right. But you tell me, what is more foolish, cutting off one's right shoulder or literally receiving powerful gifts from Jesus Christ's throne in heaven and then refusing to use them for the growth of the body, the glory of God, or the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You put those two on the table, and I'd say it's more crazy 
not to use the gifts to grow the body of Christ. Cut off my shoulder if I have two options. Saints, when you neglect to use the gifts and talents that God has given you specifically to grow his church, when you do not serve and you do not love and you do not care for your brothers and sisters that you've coveted with, whether you know this or not, you are crippling that local church. You're stunting the growth of that local body. And whether you believe this or not, you are putting your brothers and sisters in danger. You are putting those in danger who do not have access to the nutrients and the spiritual encouragement that you can bring. You expose them to harm. Hebrews 3.13 tells us this clearly. We are to what? Exhort one another every day. Encourage one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because you're essential. You're necessary. If you're part of the body of Christ, the body of Christ needs you. Take yourself out. Do not use your gifts. Do not work in the context of the church and you cripple the church and you harm your brothers and sisters. I'm not saying this to be mean. This is what the text says. That's the analogy the Apostle Paul is using and that's why he's using it. And that means if you're a member here, at Christ Community Church, you're either using your gifts and talents to grow this church or using them to grow your own kingdom. It's one or the other. It's either here for God or for your own glory. So if you spend your time and your energies on you, your work, your family, your wants and your desires at the expense of the church, you need to know, Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and to the church here today, you need to know that you are working against God's plan to bring himself glory, to grow up his church and to feed his people. You're that important. You are that important. You don't believe me. I know you do. I can see by your faces. You are that important. You are that gifted. You are that instrumental in the body of Christ. You are. In the late 1990s, the New England Patriots, they started assembling a team that became, still today, the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL. Robert Kraft, the owner, he hired Bill Belichick in 1996. And together with Coach Belichick, they, within a few short years, they positioned themselves to have unprecedented success. They had the right coaches, they had the right playbook, and they had the right players. And all they had to do was execute. All they had to do was take their plan and put it in place. Now Bill Belichick was known as a man a few words, kind of an angry man a few words. But before one of his six Super Bowl victories, nine Super Bowl appearances, six victories, before one of his Super Bowl victories, this is his word of encouragement to the team. You ready? Utterly profound. If you want to win, do your job. That was it. If you want to win the Super Bowl, he said to the players, to the coaches, to the staff, do your job. Now, they, that may not be the most charismatic, emotional speech you would expect from the greatest football coach in the history of the game, but he was right. It worked. 
every single player, every single coach, every single personal staff on the team did their job, and in doing their job, they won six Super Bowls in a very short period of time. They became an NFL dynasty by each member doing his job. My beloved coach, Belichick, was stealing from God's playbook. You know that. That was not his idea. That was God's idea. Long before the Patriots dynasty, God established the dynasty of son Jesus Christ. He put him on the throne and he said, this is my king and this is a true dynasty. And that king for 2,000 years has been pouring out gifts upon the church and telling the church what? Do your job. Telling each member, do your job. You want to win the Super Bowl in the context of the kingdom? Do your job. Every single Christian using his or her gifts to grow the church for the glory of Christ. God's plan, his growth plan, has not changed. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago as it was when he made Adam and Eve in the garden. The only question is, will we participate as a church in its execution? Will we together as a body grow together for the glory of God's name in the universe? We've seen, one, God gifting the ministers of the word to train the church, two, God gifting each of you to grow the church. But I have one more here because I've preached on the gifts and the use of the gifts now on and off for 22 years. And as I was reflecting upon this, it never sticks. It just doesn't stick, and I'm not quite sure why. I have an idea why, but I don't really know exactly why. I think in part we don't think that it's that important. I I think that in part we don't think that the gifts are that important or we think that we're not gifted or we think, you know what, even if I use my gifts, it's just such a little piece of the pie. It's so insignificant. I don't know. There are five lists, 20 gifts, and those are not comprehensive. We have gifts and talents oozing out of us. You do. This church is remarkably gifted and remarkably talented. And somehow, we have rendered this teaching optional in our Christian walk. Millions, millions of Christian workers not working. It's like we've all gone on strike. I know some say, why can't we just continue with our Western Christianity? We like coming, we like sitting, we like listening, we like leaving. We'll see you next week. Why can't it just be, why can't the growth of the church just be the hired people and the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a reason. Last point, number three. Jesus gives gifts from his throne to fill and subdue the cosmos with his glory. We miss the big picture and therefore we do not use our gifts. You see, one of the great lies in the Western church, one of the great lies in the Western church is that you can grow in Christ alone that you don't need the body of Christ, that you, have, you don't need to have any concern or participation in the growth of the body of Christ, either for you or your brothers and sisters. That's a lie, my beloved. The New Testament does not know a church like that, and it does not know a Christian like that. Every single Christian was saved into the church to be blessed to grow and to grow that local body. That is the plan of God. There's no such thing as the maverick, isolated, alone Christian So here, maybe this is earth-shattering news from you. God's plan for the universe is not your individual glory. 
God's plan for the universe is not your individual spiritual maturation. God's plan for the universe is to fill the universe with the glory of his son, to magnify Christ, not you. The church, we are the instrument, the collective unified instrument God has chosen to accomplish this work of glorifying his son. True believers gathered together in local communities just like this, growing in our love for one another and our service to one another and our ministry to the lost. And in so doing, when we do that, when we grow together in Christ, we become more like Christ. We love more like Christ. We speak more like Christ. We relate to each other more like Christ. And in so doing, what are we doing? We're filling the universe with his glory. Your families, your workplace, your communities are being filled with the glory of God as we grow in our love for Jesus. One commentator, he had a great perspective on this, listen. He said, the building of the body is inextricably tied, it's linked with God's plan of filling the universe with his rule. Since the church is the instrument in carrying out his purposes for the cosmos. The church. The church is God's instrument to bring glory to God's name to his son's name, both here and everywhere. I, 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 get, I get, we lack motivation for things that we don't think are that important. We do. We, if we don't think that something is really important or we think that it might be futile, deep down, I mean, our rational being said, well, why, why should I do that? It's not gonna impact anything. You know, I don't know about you, if I wash my car and it rains the next day, I think, wow, that was a wasted hour. Why did I do that? If I know it's going to rain, I'm not going to wash my car. When you spend or you think, why iron my shirt? (laughs) It's just going to get wrinkled. Why make my bed? I'm going to sleep in it again tonight. You're thinking in some ways rationally. Some of you say, well, that's disgusting. You should make your bed and iron your shirts. But when you realize that your efforts are not futile, when you realize that you are actually doing something that has a greater cause, And in this particular case, it's an eternal cause. It's a cosmic cause. Our hearts change toward what we're called to do. My beloved, your efforts, I'll just say it very plainly, your efforts, the gifting that God has given you to build up the church for the cosmic eternal glory of his son are never, ever done in vain. Ever. It doesn't matter how small the work is. It doesn't matter how small the gifting is. Your work has eternal significance when you're growing the body of Christ. It it lasts forever because the glory of the church is glorifying Christ forever and that goes on forever. There was a pastor who once, I think in trying to, I'm not gonna do this, but it's probably very effective. He brought 10 people up on the stage. He's teaching on the gifts. He says, we're going to pretend that we're a fire truck and each of you are gonna have parts of the fire truck things to do and so so you're going to be a steering wheel and you're going to be the hose and and you're going to be the siren that person was very excited they got to be the siren and then you you're going to be that person in the back who steers the truck because it's so big and you're going to be a tire he gave all 10 of them a part to play and then once they had worked through the whole process he asked them a simple question could say what is your purpose and each one said what their job was i'm a tire i'm the hose i'm the siren i'm the steering wheel and he said you're all wrong your purpose every one of you is to put out fires As a gifted member of a local church, 
Your purpose is not simply using or not using your gift. And if you don't use it, you don't simply just lose that blessing. Your purpose is to use your gift to grow the church, to fill the universe with the glory of God. My beloved, there's no greater growth plan. Not even Jeff Bezos thought like that. I can't think of a more important, more eternally significant, glorifying work than this. You working to grow the church to fill the universe with the glory of Jesus Christ. Nothing better. And if you've done it, there's nothing more satisfying as you work for the Lord. That's why Paul says we want to use our gifts to grow the church. Look at verse 13. We want to do that until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so he sets Christ as the standard. And he says, we want to grow in our faith. We want to make sure every single one of us is growing daily in our faith and our trust in the Lord. And that means each of us working hard to make sure we're unified, that we together are sure of what we hope for and certain of what we believe to be true that we together believe and encourage one another to believe that Christ did live that life that you were supposed to live and he, he died that death you were supposed to die. And he did that, he did that so that you could, through repentance and faith, be forgiven of your sins and have eternal life. That we work together to believe that together. That we're unified in our faith in Christ. That we use our gifts to help each other grow in the knowledge, it says here, of the Son of God. Not just knowing about Jesus, but making sure that each of us really knows Jesus. I'm talking in a Hebrews 3.14 sense where we come to share in Jesus. That's the union with Christ that we have. Or a Hebrews 3.19 sense that we all come to know the love of Christ that what? That surpasses all knowledge. My beloved, we're supposed to use our gifts to help each other come to that knowledge. And what greater knowledge is there than that? to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Growing in our faith and growing in our relationship with Jesus together until what? So we reach the mature manhood, the full measure of the stature of Jesus himself. And he says you gotta do that. Look at verse 14. So that, Paul includes himself here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You have a responsibility to help your brothers and sisters mature in the faith. We don't want to remain children in the faith, immature spiritually. You speaking the truth in love to one another, you using the gifts that God has given you to grow up the church, help your brothers and sisters get off those waves and get out of that wind and get onto the rock of Christ. You, Help each other do that. You are helped by others in doing that. I don't want to be washed out to sea. I don't want my my faith shipwrecked. I need you. We need each other to make sure this doesn't happen. We got if, if we don't, my beloved, listen, we have the waves and the wind blowing at us from the world all the time. But if we speak the truth to each other in love and we use our gifts, we can grow out of that childishness, that foolishness, so easily deceived. We can become the mature believers that God desires us to be. The instrument of God's plan is the church. The end of that plan is that Jesus Christ, his name, 
above every name, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. That was the original mandate given to us in Genesis 1, verse 28. That was it. To be fruitful, multiply, and what? Subdue the earth for the glory of God. Adam and Eve, they blew it. And so God says, listen, I'm going to send a second Adam. He's going to be the head of the church. I'm going to reconstitute my family. And this new family will not fail. This new family, the church, will receive my gifts. They will grow together in love. And they will magnify my name throughout all the universe. We're part of that if you're in Christ. Jesus Christ making the body grow through you. Your life, your participation, and your gifting. Still not convinced? I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble reading your face. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. After World War II, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jimmy Durante. I know some of us who are older know his name. Uh, he was a very famous comedian during that time. Following World War II, he was asked to participate in a, a veterans concert. And the host of the concert asked him to come and he'd give a monologue. He says, listen, I've got, a, I've got a schedule right after. I, have, I can only do like five, maybe ten minutes. And the, the host of the, the, uh, the um, gathering said, that's fine, come. So Jimmy Durante, he goes out on stage to this, this packed stadium of, of World War II vets. And he goes through about five or ten minutes and there's the first round of applause and then he, he keeps on going. And the applause grew louder and louder and he continued in his act, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 35 minutes, 45 minutes. And finally, he takes a final bow and he exits the stage. And someone backstage said, hey, Jimmy, I, I thought you had to go after a few minutes. What happened? And Jimmy answered, I, I do have to go. He goes, but I can show you the reason why I stayed. He said, look for yourself. And so Jimmy pointed this backstage hand to look to the front row where there were two men each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm, the other had lost his left arm, but together they were able to clap. And that's exactly what they were doing, Jimmy said, clapping together loudly and cheerfully. And then he said, how could I leave such a sincere display of appreciation? And so he stayed. Friends, when we come together as the body of Christ, we come maimed, and battered, and broken. But God brings us together, and he gives each of us gifts that we use them together to glorify him and to magnify his son as he rightly deserves. We display a worship that the world cannot deny. By putting our left hands and our right hands together, by building each other up in love and serving the Lord, we are able to clap and we're able to cheer, and we're able to put on display the magnificence of a God who made us his own, of the Father who sent the Son to bring us into the family through the cross. He brings us in and calls us as a family right now to grow each other up that we might bring him the most glory we can now and as a family that will spend, as Kirk had a chance to read from Revelation 5, a family that will spend all of eternity together worshiping Jesus and filling, literally filling the universe with glory and praise and song. What a great growth plan. 
If you're in Christ, you're on that plan. God working through you to grow his church, to fill the universe with the glory of Christ. Last question, are you participating? Simple question. Are you using the gifts God has given you to grow the church for the glory of his son? If you are, then you're engaged in the most magnificent growth plan ever known to man. And you're probably enjoying it. If you're not, then you must know that you're using the gifts and talents you have in Christ to serve yourself. And that is a bad growth plan that is self-glorifying and that may end not with eternal life, but with eternal death. That's a plan you want to get off, I would say, today. Jesus expects those on his team to do their job, to work for the glory of God in building the church. I pray that each of us would hear our calling this morning. Let's pray. What a plan, Lord. Not one that we would come up with. That you would save sinners like us and bring us into a family and even though we are broken and maimed, you would equip us individually to grow one another. Oh, Father, I ask that you would do that here. That not a single member of this body would, even for a single day, neglect the gifts and talents they've been given to grow this church. You know what those gifts are, Father. Make them known to them. If they don't know them, have them ask us that we might help. And then with this great growth plan before them, Lord, the glory of your Son, the filling of the universe of the glory of Christ, I pray that you would compel them to do it in love. That they would speak the truth in love to one another. They would use their gifts to grow the body in love with one another. Do that here, Father, do that. Oh, Father, do that at Christ Community Church. Uh, Pour out the gifts from one another to one another. And I ask, Lord, you would do that for your true church throughout the world. That, That we would reject a consumer model of the body of Christ and that we would accept what Paul taught here, that we are all producers and that we would produce well, that we would, in fact, do our jobs and in so doing, see you glorified. Bless us that way, Father. Give us that great joy and satisfaction in doing that work and seeing you magnified here in this place. I ask this in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.